you know, you, you always see on, on Facebook, your friends getting something nicer and you think, oh, well, we, we could, we could do that. We could do that. We should do, we that. Let's, do that. Let's go to that open house. And, and it's like, well, but, but why, why do you want a, a, a nicer home? How is it nicer? How does it support you and, and our family and our goals? And it's like, well, actually it doesn't. Welcome to Ambition Theory, Women in Construction. This show asks questions that everybody is thinking about, but doesn't want to say out loud. It's about tackling complex topics like why are there so few women in senior leadership positions? What is it going to take to change this? Each episode is a combination of motivation and tactical strategies to get ahead. We get out of our comfort zones and we take action. We learn, grow, and create opportunities. I am your host, Andrea Jansen, a certified executive coach with an MBA, and since 2018, I've coached over a thousand construction professionals to level up their leadership. Let's get started. Hello, we are going to be taking a break from recording for a couple weeks, and the reason is because I'm moving from Halifax, Nova Scotia to Denver, Colorado. Our entire family is packing up, and we're heading on a new adventure, and I wanted to share an episode with you that we recorded last year during International Women's Day um, 2021 with Dr. Vanessa and Pat Sweet, and on this episode, they talked about how do you navigate two careers when two people in a family are really invested in their careers, are really invested in being a leader in their industry? How do you decide what to do? How do you make decisions? And they talked about having family values, about getting on the same page with your partner about what's important and creating a system to make decisions. So when opportunities come up, like moving to Denver, you have a really great process to decide, is this a good opportunity um, or is it not? And when I think about what led up to this exciting opportunity that I am embarking in right now with my husband, Sean, and my three kids and my cat, um, I think about that interview and what I learned from Pat and Vanessa about how they talk about their family values, how they have a process of how they're going to make decisions and what's really important to them. And I wanted to share it with you today. So I hope you enjoy this episode and find it as valuable as I did. So we are going to dive into a live episode of our podcast with Dr. Vanessa and Pat Sweet. And I'm so excited, Pat and Vanessa, that you are here today on our podcast. Because when we were thinking about this series, Jody had this idea to do a series on International Women's Day around challenging the stereotypes that, you know, keep hold us back from our careers and really achieving our goals in our personal lives. And I immediately thought of this story of when Charlotte, your daughter, slept over at my house. And I don't know if there's any parents in the audience, but you probably have had this experience before. Your child wants to have a sleepover and you're like, okay, great. Let's have the sleepover. Let's have this child sleepover. And often around 9.30, 10 o'clock, like my child would fall asleep and then the other child would come downstairs crying because they wanted their mother and they couldn't fall asleep, which is a totally normal childhood milestone. But when Charlotte, Pat and Vanessa's daughter, slept over at my house, I hear these little footsteps coming down the stairs. I hear the crying and it's crying. Charlotte's crying for her dad. And that was the first time I had actually experienced that because usually children 
cry for their mother in the middle of the night. And I realized, I said, you know what? I'm so grateful to have role models like Pat and Vanessa who are challenging the way that you parent, challenge the way that you lead, even bringing kind of different ways of thinking, different ways of working, different ways of running a household. Um, I'm so happy that I have these role models in my life that I can look up to. And I said, and I thought, you know what? I think other people need role models like this because we, it's so easy for us to fall into those stereotypes. And we've seen a lot of data recently that is showing us that, you know what, a lot of, especially because of the pandemic, a lot of the extra work with the children, with the household is falling on women and they are leave, they're actually leaving the workforce. So I wanted to bring both of you here today to just ask you the questions like, how did this happen? Because I think it was really intentional from what I know. And that is why you're here today. So Dr. Vanessa Sweet, can you first introduce yourself and share with us what you do? So my name's Vanessa. I am uh, first a wife and mother. Um, I am also an anesthesiologist. So I work here in Halifax um, within the Faculty of uh, Medicine Department of Anesthesia and uh, Perioperative Medicine at Dow. And so I, I give anesthetics in Halifax and Dartmouth. And I also have a background in um, uh, healthcare quality and quality improvement. So that's sort of my non-clinical role uh, is as the Associate Medical Director for Quality within our department. So fancy. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so Vanessa is very well educated and you have a very important job and you literally hold people's lives in your hands every day in surgery, right, Vanessa? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty, pretty much. And one cool thing about Vanessa is that her last name is Sweet and she's an anesthesiologist. So that is the person that puts you to sleep before surgery. And so you can literally give people sweet dreams. Um, I, 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 and I wish people sweet dreams before they go to sleep too. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, Pat, can you introduce yourself and talk about what you do? Yeah. Uh, so my name is Pat Sweet, um, uh, husband and a dad, and I, I, I've got a full-time gig in the defense industry um, as a as a staff systems engineer, a uh, big company called Lockheed Martin. I'm also the head of configuration management for Lockheed Martin Canada. Uh, so the department head for a particular, particular group of people. Um I also run a, a podcast called the Engineering and Leadership Podcast, where I explore um, kind of the, the the business and managerial side of my work, uh, leadership, management, productivity, goal setting, uh, and the like. So over the last several years, I've had the opportunity to speak speak internationally, uh, coach, deliver courses, uh, all, all sorts of good stuff to, to really interesting people all over the world. Um, so that, that's, uh, yeah, that, that, that's me in a nutshell. Amazing. So both of you have been on the podcast separately. Um, Pat talking about productivity, Vanessa talking about getting your head in the game when you're working in high pressure situations, but I've never had the two of you together. And for everyone here, um, this has not been rehearsed. So these are just the questions that I honestly was curious about Pat and Vanessa. And I, have not actually asked you these questions before, even though you are my friends in real life. Um, but I want to go back to the time when you met. And I'm so curious about your career motivations. Vanessa, can you go first? Um, I would love to go first because I'll get the story right. Uh, we <laughs> first met in high school. Am I allowed, I'm allowed yeah, to tell the story? Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, we first met in high school at a scholarship interview. Um, so we were grade 12 and we we're both selected to go to a university in Nova Scotia to interview for um, one of their big entrance scholarships. And as part of this, we got to go to a first year lecture. And it was a lecture, it was a chemistry lecture. 
they were discussing Hess's law and we were all sitting in the back of the auditorium and um, I was answering all of the questions and I was getting the answers right, but I wasn't speaking up enough. So the prof could tell that there was something happening in the background, but couldn't quite make out my answers. And Pat kept repeating my answers. And so the prof stopped the lecture to draw attention to Pat and this brilliant young gentleman up in the back of the room and how smart he is and blah, 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 blah. Anyway, Pat got the scholarship. I did not get the scholarship. I vented... That's putting it lightly. Yeah. I vented to my mother the whole way home about this obnoxious guy at the scholarship interview. Turns out neither of us ended up going to that particular university. And we met again when we did start university yeah. and Pat was roommates with one of my best friends from high school. And so unfortunately it didn't click until after we were already dating where I knew Pat looked familiar and anyway, I didn't put it together until... It was too late. I don't know where the unfortunate part comes into that. I, I, I like to think things worked out okay. What really happened, what really happened was that I, I was also studying for a chemistry exam involving Hess's mm -hmm. law. So so I think I think well you'd say there was chemistry from day one. <laughs> okay, so Vanessa, I'm curious, did you always know you wanted to be a doctor? And like I can't put my finger on exactly when that would have been as far back as I can recall it seems to be what I wanted to do and that's what my mom wrote down in like my little books like grade one what does she want to be grade two what does she want to be and you know after I got over the original like you know ballet dancer be a unicorn that sort of phase then it was sort of doctor and I've always my strength has always lied or lane whatever the correct word is being in the sciences and so it was sort of a natural natural path for me so, yeah. okay so it sounds like you're both very driven motivated goal-oriented person people um so pat when you started dating what was going on for you because vanessa was clear kind of on that path to becoming a doctor um what was going on for you when you started dating from a professional perspective gosh i, I suppose when when we started dating we were both very much on that on that path it was for first year of undergrad really just launching into um that that kind of trajectory right um we we were both kind of heads down students um i was particularly motivated to do well in school to keep scholarship dollars which in retrospect and we still we talked about this just the other day to the exclusion of things like even bothering to try out for the soccer team or, or you know, keep my band going or anything like that. There, there were there, all, all these other kind of aspects of my life that kind of got set aside for fear of losing scholarship dollars, which in retrospect was pretty, uh, was pretty silly, right? I really, I, I, I drove myself into a very narrow focus, which in retrospect, I, I play things differently. But I think, I think it does kind of illustrate just how driven we both were to establish ourselves in our in our careers and kind of catapult ourselves in, into success even even kind of during frosh week right that was that was the headspace i think we were both in frankly yeah. there's a stereotype i want to point out though that i think you fell to was that get good grades if you get good grades and study hard you will get a good job and have a successful career 100%. Yeah, absolutely. That that was absolutely the headspace. Yeah. Okay, sure. so you're both sure. kind of these high achievers. Yeah. Um, did anybody, I remember when I was university, in university, no one talked about equality. People just said, you. if you just, like, I really believe that stereotype, work hard, get a good job, like, you can become whatever you want. 
was there any talk about like equality and having conversations as a couple about what you each want when you were kind of so young and kind of at the beginning of the relationship? Um, I don't know that we would have uh, had the insight at the time to frame it as a discussion of equality. Mm -hmm. Um, But that was definitely... uh, in hindsight, I think the mentality that we both went into it with that what I needed and wanted out of my career um, was as equally important and valid as Pat's. And um, there was never a sense that one or the other of us couldn't have what we wanted out of life. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And were your friends had that same assumption? Like, you know, the the friends that you're hanging out with, other classmates, did they have the same values and same perceptions? I think a lot of them did. You know, I I think I think of the the women we hung out with at the time who were pursuing advanced education, technical education. Right. And and I don't think there was any kind of sense that uh, within our group, any one of us was more or less deserving of an ambitious career or, or whether it made sense for you to, you know, pursue, pursue good work, but not, not you as much. I think, I, I think within our own little group anyway, that was. Yeah, certainly within, within the people that we surrounded ourselves immediately yep. with, I would say that was a pretty um, consistent framework that people were working yeah. with. Yeah. Everyone was yeah. there to work hard and do well and, and, and pursue what they, they, were had always dreamed of kind of thing, whether it was, you know, music in one case or engineering in another medicine in another, that was, uh, it was all, it was all legit. It was all accepted. Okay. So you're, you each have this plan. You're kind of working hard. You're striving for these really high profile, high, high career, high level careers. Um, but the logistics are not easy, especially for Vanessa <laughs> becoming an anesthesiologist. So you had to move around a lot, Vanessa, for your medical training. But I'm so curious, what did that look like for you, Pat? Because your work hard, get a job, the company will take care of you kind of stereotype that you were believing and following. How does that fit in with this idea of Vanessa having to move around, get into different schools, residency, all these different things that it takes to become a medical doctor? Yeah. um, And and I guess, I guess it was, um, it's never straightforward, right? To, to balance two careers. Um, But I always viewed, I always viewed kind of the, um, the challenges associated with moving as an interesting opportunity, kind of a forced, a forced reset, you know, shake things up, hit restart and, and apply lessons learned from, you know, your experience leading up to that point. A good example of this is, and this is before we were even engaged, Vanessa got into med school, uh, both at Dalhousie, which which is, you know, where we're from Halifax, we've been studying in Halifax, um, and also McMaster in Hamilton. And, you know, we we talked about it a bunch, and Vanessa ultimately ultimately made the decision that McMaster was the right choice. In retrospect, it's absolutely, it was absolutely the right choice. In parallel, I was offered an equity stake in a startup that I was working uh, working with as a as a co op student. I had I done a good job, turned some heads, and Pat, if you want to if you want to stick it out with us, you know we'll we'll bring you we'll we'll bring you on as a partner. Uh, and I said no. <laughs> the president said, what, "What what what was that? I didn't I didn't I didn't quite hear I'm that." I'm gonna follow this girl. <laughs> no, and and that, and that was story. It's like you know I I'm committed in this relationship. I. I think this is important. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna move to Ontario to keep that keep that alive and keep that going, right? And that was kind of one a, a leap of faith for sure. Now moving to Ontario from Nova Scotia certainly brought opportunity to me that I would not have had in, in Nova Scotia at the time for sure. Um, and I'm very very glad that that uh, I made that move, but both both for for personal reasons obviously, uh, but also professionally, right? It's always it's always scary to make a change like that, but I think having made that change, it was easier to make subsequent changes down the line, knowing I can make this work, um, and that there's 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 opportunity in in every challenge, right? So yeah, uh, that the the uncertainty can be managed, and that between the two of us, we can sort of openly lay out on the table what our needs and our goals are, and and look at the whole picture and figure out a plan that works yeah yeah do you know that this is not kind of like the typical way that couples end up we've heard this yes (laughs) yeah we've we've heard this yeah you've heard this okay so I'm so curious about what kind of because I want to reverse engineer how this happened because it's as you're telling this story it's it sounds straightforward right of course you're going to negotiate of course you're going to lay out goals on the table and have a plan and and see the move as an opportunity and all of those great things that you were able to get out of it but i want to reverse engineer even like how did you plan for this how did we plan for this i feel like i have a non-answer answer for you and it's partly um and i think pat and i we, we have lots of discussions about non-specific visions for the future um you know without without the particulars of a job that's in front of us or a specific career aspiration but just you know how do we want this to be how do we want us to be as we relate to the world and we currently but we didn't at the time we we did informal bits but like have a have an AGM where like what's important to us what how do we make our decisions knowing that we will have decisions that we will have to make that will be challenging where we will have our you know wants and needs in opposition what are the sort of guiding principles that help us make that decision and I think approaching it you put it as um, like a, a mindset of abundance not not approaching things, looking at the challenge, but really believing that we have what it takes between us to make this work. Um, that that it isn't a okay, you get this time, I get next time, but a we how can we maximize what we both get out of this? Always, I don't know if that answers. No, I think it does. I I, I think I I think we'd be lying to you if we if we sat here and told you we had it all planned out. We didn't. We didn't. We absolutely didn't. Vanessa going to McMaster was kind of like, oh, that is a good idea. Shoot. Okay. What do we do now? How do we, how do we tackle that? But, and then, and then again, uh, you did residency in Kingston, in Kingston, Ontario, Mm -hmm. which again was like, oh, so we're not making it back to the East Coast quite yet. Okay. How does that fit in? And and it always worked because I think we've got a, a, a shared vision for our lives and what we want. And if you've got a shared vision and a shared sense of goals, then the particular steps you take to get there become less important. And it also it also gets to be much easier to see how any given opportunity fits into that bigger picture. Having a much better sense of the end game 
means you get really flexible with with, with the direction and, and the, the the roadmap to get there. And I, I think I think that's how we've. Yeah, and I think I think the shared vision is not. It doesn't. It's it's not a vision with specific like positions at a particular company or within a particular department or with a particular clinical role. It the, the vision is is I would say bigger and a bit more nuanced than that, so that we can take the specific in front of us and see how that fits within within the bigger picture. I and love that. So many saying, people can't see the big picture, and then you get so caught up in that immediate. Yeah decision and then i think that's where you fall into that below the line scarcity mentality because if you're just focused on like that decision right in front of you it's like if we do this it becomes like the zero-sum game but the way you do it it's like let's look at the big picture first and how does this little step that we have to in this decision that we need to make today affect that bigger picture and that it that's how that what makes it not a zero-sum game i think that's really powerful that you're able to do this If you are an HR professional or a construction leader and you're curious about how you can better engage and support your female staff, we have some exciting news to share with you. Ambition Theory has developed industry-specific leadership training program for women in line with the Canadian Construction Association's Gold Seal Certification Program. The goal of these programs is to help companies develop leaders from the talent that already exists internally. There is a war for talent in the construction industry, and engagement and retention are among the best ways to address this. If you want to learn how Ambition Theory can help you improve employee engagement and retention, go to ambitiontheory.ca and book a call with us. And now back to our conversation. I'm really curious about the family AGM. Can you tell me how that works? Um, can, can I, can I sure, you go here? So, so Andrea knows this. Um, it's it fair for you all to learn this about me. I'm, I'm a, I'm a big nerd. Um, <laughs> so uh, w- one of the things that we started doing a couple of years ago now is um, we started holding quite, quite literally yeah. an annual general meeting. Um, our first year, we booked a meeting space at the Central Library in Halifax and got a bunch of whiteboard markers, set an agenda, wrote out a mission and vision statement, like really kind of had our own personal little workshop um, to, to get on paper, like to, to, to put in concrete terms, what, what are we what are we here for? What's important to us? And then broke, break down from that what projects we want to execute over the course of the year in support of the bigger, you know, the bigger picture and the goals we have. Um, this, this, this past January, we went to, uh, to a little like bed and breakfast, not too far from Halifax, j- just to get away. And, you know, and it, it becomes a nice weekend for us too, and eat, eat good food and drink good wine and all the rest, but, but really give ourselves the, the physical and mental space to think through uh, what are our goals for our finances, for our faith, for our health, like everything start to finish. Where do we, where do we think we are? What worked last year? What do we want to change for this year? Um, so we, we literally have a, a list of projects that we're working on, right? And, and, and I think it helps too in terms of, you know, the, obviously, you know, our weekend in January when we go away and do this isn't the only time we make decisions, but even just having that intentionality about articulating what we're what we're about and how we make our decisions lets us then deal with all of the things that come up in the run of the year in the run of the year and say you know in the in the run of a week the number of things that will come up where we'll be like oh that would be so amazing and then we sit down and we're like wait a second 
that is like the antithesis of, you know, what, you know, whether it's, this would be a beautiful house to buy. And then we think about the house that we want to buy and we're like, well, no, but this doesn't fit with our goals and our vision around family. And it doesn't fit with our goals, you know, what, how we talk about how we like to spend our time and, and it helps frame some of those discussions so that it, it's more of a shared decision-making thing that, that ends up happening as opposed mm-hmm. to, I want this, you want that you got yours the last time I get mine this time. And yeah. It sounds like, okay, two themes I'm hearing. One is it's never a zero sum game. That is like the theme I'm hearing. And the second one is you need to be intentional and have that big picture and even document it so that you have a way to make really good decisions. Because I think where people get stuck is where you make the decision on a short term. I like to say it in coaching, like a head down versus head up. It sounds like you make yeah, all yeah, your yeah. decisions with your head up, with your eye, like on the horizon. Whereas like when you're head down, you're like just looking at the, just look at that immediate thing. So I think mm-hmm. that is a really powerful learning yeah, um, and there, that, that I can take away. There can be lots of decisions that, you know, when you have your head down and you look at them, they're great decisions that would be disastrous for us in our family. Like in, in just, the long run. Yeah. yeah that yeah, are just yeah, yeah. really not, that would not, despite being awesome on paper, would not be good for us together or despite being really great for one person would be disastrous for everybody. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm curious, yeah. is there like, it, it, you have all these great processes. Um, what has there ever been like a conflict and you've be- felt conflicted with something? No, our, our marriage has no conflict. No, we're perfect. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, no conflict. it's a good question. Um, I mean, what, what you brought up the, the, the house thing, right? It's, the house thing re- recurs regularly and probably your, your career path. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. So, so on the house thing, you know, we, we we live in a part of Halifax that is probably pricier per square foot. You're getting an older home, uh, a smaller home, but, but it's, it's a decision we've made so that we're in a neighborhood filled with kids close to, you know, uh, nice walking and biking paths where there's a real sense of community. Right. And this is a yeah. constant temptation. Is like, yeah, we oh, can, we we can just... walk to church. Yeah. Our commutes are both almost non-existent. Like they're, yeah. Right. So, and then, you know, you, you always see on, on Facebook, your friends getting something nicer and you think, oh, well, we, we could, we could do that. We could do that. We should do, we that. Let's, do that. Let's go to that open house. And, and it's like, well, but, but why, why do you want a, a, a nicer home? How is it nicer? How does it support you? And, and our family and our goals. And it's like, well, actually it doesn't, right? So it's, there's, there's that inner tension of, you know, er, I think everyone feels to some extent the, the keeping up with the Joneses thing. And it would be very tempting to take that step if we didn't have that, that touchstone, that anchor to say, well, this is what we value. This is what we said we valued in a moment where we weren't weak and tempted by a particular uh, op- quote unquote opportunity, right? Um, so, so that's uh, to call it conflict is I don't want to paint it as a conflict between us. Maybe it's a, a shared inner conflict yeah. or something like that. Right. Yeah, totally. It's the external comparison versus like really you being so confident in your goals that you set together and your vision that you set together versus society's expectations of you. And I think that's a conflict that people face every single day. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. So I have a question, actually, this is for you, Pat. I know you work in the defense sector, which is Mm -hmm. very male dominated. And 
I know that you've worked at a bunch of different companies and you felt very, very supported. And just a note for everybody is when I first met Pat and Vanessa, I actually met Pat first because we both volunteered at the preschool board and Pat was a stay-at-home dad and he was not on paternity leave. He was he was a stay-at-home dad and we met volunteering at the preschool board and you have actually like risen to leadership. You're not that old. You're younger than me. Like you've risen to leadership in your company at a pretty quick pace, even though you took a chunks of time, you took formal parental leave and then mm-hmm. you were a stay-at-home down for a little bit. So I'm so curious about the support that you got from the companies that you worked for in that experience yeah so so i guess i've had two kind of significant um experiences where my my organization has has supported me um back when charlotte was first born i was um i was applying for a for for a management role in a in a previous organization and i actually during the job interview i i I looking back i can't believe i had the guts to do this but i i told i said listen like my, my wife is expecting, we're going to have our first kid. Um, I'm going to take six months off. And that's going to start about a month after this position starts. So to take it or leave it, if I'm the right guy, I'm, I'm confident I'll be the right guy six months from now. But you need to know that this is this is my plan. Um, because I didn't, I didn't want anyone to be surprised or put out or, or feeling like I withheld something pertinent. Um, and I was... Frankly, I, I thought I shot myself in the foot. Um, felt like I did the right thing, but felt like I shot myself in the foot. Um, ended up getting the job. Ended up being no problem whatsoever. They they figured it out. They covered the six months, um, and it was the first of what ended up being several dads in the office who, with their first kids or their next kids, said, "Well, Pat Pat took time off. Could could I take time off?" And it, there, there was something of a snowball effect there where all of a sudden dads were, were taking time off in the office, which was, which was really, really cool. When we moved back to Halifax, um, I had, you know, Vanessa and I discussed, you know, discussed the situation and, and she was on contract with the, um, with the hospital and, and we decided, okay, well, we're not, we're not necessarily 100% rooted in in this life situation here um there may be a need to, to pick up and go at the end of the contract you're covering maternity leave yeah. right um so i said you know what let's rent i'll stay home with charlotte this will have the time of our lives and then at the end of the year we'll we'll figure out we'll figure out what we want to do so it, it again it was this this opportunity to you know uh just focus on being a dad being a husband right and it was it was a blast um you know, as things turned out, your contract turned into a full-time position. Um, an old friend of mine from school called me up about about a job at uh, at the company he was working for, which ended up being Lockheed Martin. So everything fell into place in the end. Um, but even when I started with Lockheed, I started part-time. And I explained to them, so that this preschool that uh, Andrea is mentioning, this preschool was not offering full-day care. So I, I made arrangements with my employer when I started said, I, I need to start part-time because my daughter only has part-time care at her preschool. So, you know, it, it, take it or leave it. That's my, you know, that, that's kind of the arrangement that, that I'm looking for. And they bought in, right? And I think, I think particularly in my, my current company, there's an awareness, there's an understanding that uh, families don't look the same 
uh, the, the way they did even even 15, 20 years ago, right? Um, and I think I think particularly with Lockheed, there's an understanding that they can make themselves a very attractive employer by being um, not just mom friendly, but family friendly, right? Because ultimately, ultimately that also supports moms, right? Um, that so so I think I think that's that's where I see our industry going. Frankly, it's where I see a lot of industries going, and I think it's a, it's very encouraging. It's very exciting. Okay, I love that. Thank you for sharing that, Pat. So, Vanessa, I'm so curious because you are like one of the most motivated people I know. And it's like you do one thing, you're like, oh, I'm going to do this. Then I become the, the head of the department on this. And then I'm going to do all this research and I'm going to get a master's and I'm going to learn all these new things. And I'm going to speak at these conferences and you're doing all the things. I'm curious if there was what kind of support you got from the medical community to really like get you to that level that you are today and like that level that you're still kind of striving for. Um. It was, it, it took a little bit of a, uh, a little bit of internal struggle and a little bit of a, a shift in my, my own thinking about what I was going to be. I like, I've always, I've always been a very driven person. And, you know, as a kid, I was still doing the same stuff. It was just channeled, you know, towards 4-H or band in high school or whatever it was. But I definitely, you know, I grew up with very hardworking parents, but not in, not at all in, you know, a, what we would consider as, you know, higher profile careers. My mom worked as a, like a licensed practical nurse and then stayed home with my sisters and I from the time I was two on. And we, dad owned his own construction company and then, and then our, owned our farm and we were dairy farmers growing up. So like incredibly hardworking parents, but, but it looked very different. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I found it, the, the, the drivenness came naturally, but trying to find out how to channel that and have it all fit within my own understanding of what being a wife and mother looks like that took a little bit of reworking in in med school and in residency to find people who could kind of you know affirm that because I wasn't staying at home I could still be a good wife and mother and that um yeah that there were ways to make this all work and you know you can't you can have whatever you want, but you can't have it all. And at the end of the day, something has to give. And so to have somebody, you know, in, in my case, you know, it was some other residents a couple of years ahead of me who were sort of doing the same things with getting married and having kids and, and reassuring you that it can all work out and having other, you know, strong women role models within anesthesia in particular, who could say like, listen, like, you know, just because you're not doing things the way you're familiar with how it looks in, in a marriage and a family, you can still live in a way that that models your values and or that is consistent with your values, even if the particulars look different than than you're used to. So having those people who can sort of affirm and, and support your decisions and, and I think reframe some of the obstacles that you put in your own way was really helpful. So it sounds like a community of people who really like see your potential and want the best for you and having those people around you, having those people that were ahead of you was key in opening up your eyes and seeing that potential and being able to kind of work towards a plan that you and Pat created. I love it. That sounds, that's awesome. 
Have you ever experienced imposter syndrome? It's that feeling that you don't deserve to be there and you don't know what you're doing. At any moment, people will reveal that you're a fraud and that you don't belong. Until recently, imposter syndrome was considered an internal problem, something that's in your head and it was up to you, the individual, to solve this problem. I want to tell you today that this assumption is wrong. There is new research that explains why imposter syndrome is a systemic issue and not an individual problem. We've created a free report exploring the evidence and providing strategies companies can use to address this. Here's the truth. If you're a woman in construction, imposter syndrome is not all in your head. Get the report at ambitiontheory.ca forward slash imposter. And now back to the show. I think the theme of everything that you talked about for me was this idea of a shared vision. So if there's a family that wants to get started on creating that shared visit vision, where is the best place for them to start? And I want you to break it down to something that people can do within 24 hours because we want immediate action, immediate implementation to just get the ball started. Like maybe people aren't ready for the annual AGM, but what's the kind of the step before that step? Gosh, it's a really good question. What I recommend anyway is look within yourself and, and, and get honest about what matters to you. What do you value? And, and when, I, when I talk about values, I'm talking about things that um, you, you envision yourself, your whole life, that that thing matters to you. So, so for Vanessa and I, a good example is our faith. Okay, so that's something that is a, a cornerstone for us. If you can list things like, and again, for us, like our faith, our health, our family, these are things that that we will care about come hell or high water. From that starting point, you can then share with your your spouse, okay, here's, here's my list, what's yours? Oh, good, there's lots of overlap. This is great, this is what I expected. How can you then, as a couple, Right. Or, or even bring in your kids. Why not? We, we do talk to Charlotte about what she values and we share with her what we value. Having a common language around that, I think, is, is an incredibly powerful place to start and doesn't have to take a whole lot of effort. You probably already know it, like in, in your, what we would say, in our heart of hearts. You know, you know what you care about um, and you know what you care about versus what maybe your parents told you you should care about or your friends tell you you should care about. Um, is that right first step, Pat, as an individual? Because I want to really break it down so that people can get yeah. into a tangible first step. So the first step as an individual is to really get clear on what you value in your heart of hearts, figure out what you as an individual want, what your goals are, and then share that with your partner. Yeah, I, I, I think it's yeah. a good place step to start. Step one is make a cup of tea. <laughs> That's right. Make a cup of tea. Sit down. And, and uh, yeah, I would say my reflections on these things that Pat's talking about probably come from a slightly different angle. I, I get to the same place, but I think about, you know, like what are the things in my life right now that are driving me nuts hmm. and why are they driving me nuts? And they're usually driving me nuts because there's some sort of, um, of um, some sort of tension, there. some sort of tension or yeah. some sort of disynchrony between what I, what I want, what I value and what, what is. And so, um, we talk about getting clear on what, like, what is the problem? Because I think we jump, we were having this discussion over the weekend, but, you know, we jump to solution space really quickly. 
um, and getting clear on what the problems are. And maybe there are no particular problems right now, but what are the things that cause problems? When does the tension arise? When yes. does the frustration arise? I love that, when, Vanessa. What are the, yeah. I love that, Vanessa, because you can, it's the same outcome, but different ways of looking at it, right? And so, oh, yeah. look at what is my goal in my heart of hearts. Maybe someone's not there yet, right? But then yeah. what are the things that are driving me crazy? But you really, at the end of the day, you get to the the root, which is what's really important to you. So yeah. I love that. It's just a different, different way of getting there. Yeah. And it's at least therapeutic for me because I get to get everything off my chest about what's driving me nuts right now. Um, but also doesn't have the pressure of having, you don't need a solution. You don't need mm. a solution. Um, the solutions that you come up with right away are probably not the right solutions anyway. So I love it. So slow down. Okay. So Pat, how do people find out more about you? Oh yeah. Um, if, uh, if anyone's interested in my work, the, the website is engineeringandleadership.com and I'm on LinkedIn as well. Um, so it's very, fairly easy to, to find me there. Awesome. Vanessa, where's the best place for people to get in touch with you? Um, you don't want to get in touch with me ever. If you need me, things are going very well. <laughs> but I guess if people want to follow your accomplishments, should they connect with you on LinkedIn? LinkedIn is a lovely place to start. I hope you don't ever need to see me professionally. If you do, <laughs> you do you're having a really bad day and I will be super empathetic to you uh, about that. But, uh, but yes, LinkedIn is the best place to reach me if you don't need my clinical services. <laughs> Awesome. Thank you so much, Pat and Vanessa, for coming on the podcast, for coming and speaking to our International Women's Week series. I feel so honored to have you as role models in my life and have you both back together um, on the podcast. Thanks for having us, Andrea. Hi there. Before you go, I was wondering if I could ask you a huge favor. Can you click on iTunes and give the podcast a five-star review and also a comment? This would mean the world to me. It also helps us to spread the word about the podcast and attract higher profile guests. We want to be able to deliver thought leadership around diversity inclusion every single week and having more reviews on iTunes will help us to do that and help us to keep the show going for free for you. So please head to iTunes right now, give us a five-star review and leave us a comment. Thanks so much. Ambition Theory Women in Construction is hosted by me, Andrea Jansen, and produced by Michael Boyd from Podcast Atlantic. Our artwork is by Tara Andrews. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll talk to you next time.